So good evening, and welcome to the talk portion of Young Urban Zen. Um, how many of you got the, um, the email saying what tonight's subject was? Quite a few of you. Um, and um, how many of you in this room have heard of the term mindfulness? <laughs> Just about everybody has heard of mindfulness. And um, I think mindfulness is a great thing. So um, it is nothing that is opposed to Zen. It's not um, mindfulness over here, the Zen stuff over here. But I wanted to unpack a little bit about mindfulness tonight and what it is and what it is in relation to Zen. Um, what is the Zen practice in relation to mindfulness? Um, and um, the reason I want to do this is that um, there are some very interesting things about the pathway of embracing um, spiritual transformation or personal growth or what have you that are really interesting in regard to the context of what the difference of these two things is. So first off, um, mindfulness is something that um, you could apply to just about anything. And you've probably seen people even advertise, I'm a yoga, yoga instructor and I've been trained in mindfulness. Or I am a golf instructor and I have been trained in mindfulness. Or I'm a business coach and I've been trained in mindfulness. Um, I've even seen people in um, programming schools say they have been trained in mindfulness. You know. um, being with the thing that's happening and embracing it. And there's many schools of the mindfulness practice that also go deeper into um, the reasons behind mindfulness. And this starts to dip into a little bit of what we find with Zen. Now before I get into the Zen part, I just want to tell a little bit of a contextual story about Japanese joinery. Does anyone know what Japanese joinery is? Yeah, there's a, a few folks here know what Japanese joinery is. It's a school of architecture that um, basically builds buildings, or builds uh, um, buildings and also builds objects, um, that um, furniture, what have you. Um, but the really big temples that you find in Japan, uh, many of them are built with joinery, and that is no nails and no glue. Um, you are learning to be with the wood, understand the wood, harvest the wood, you, you get the wood and you bring it and you have a certain respect for what the wood is and a certain way that you hold it, a certain way that you treat it. And then you have these giant beams of wood and you have to cut them just right or you could possibly waste that giant beam of wood that took those hundreds of years to grow in the forest. And you don't want to do that. So you want to be very mindful, if you will, as to what you're doing with the wood. And, and you can't just cut the wood with any old object. You, you need to have a really sharpened tools that you have honed and that you've worked with. A certain respect that goes into the whole process around how we carry the wood, how we sharpen the tools, where we keep the tools, how we clean the tools. And the mindfulness that that brings in that moment when I'm going to actually do a cut, when I'm going to do a uh, an action with the wood because 
those giant beams need to fit just perfectly together to bear weight and to not slip. And so it must be done exactly. And so in the school of Japanese joinery, the tradition, um, even up until today, but it's starting to shift a little bit, but the tradition was this, and I just love this tradition because it's so about like just wanting to have respect for a, uh, a craft. So um, you would come and you would ask a master if they would let you study under them. And typically you would get turned down on your first ask, you know, and then you, you, you keep, um, you know, coming back at a respectful time and saying, you know, could I please be your student? If they end up saying yes, then what happens is that you get to carry the tools and clean the tools after you have hung around the master for several months. But you don't, when the whole time you're with the master, the master can never catch you staring at the master. <laughs> It's like you're sneaking peeks in between. But what, what you're actually doing, and what this is actually teaching, is that you're not actually trying to become exactly like the master, like the exact movement. What you're absorbing is the nature and the way and the attitude and the approach, the spirit of how this person is interacting with wood and tools. And if I'm just staring right at the master, like, okay, I'm going to copy this. I'm going to remember that. Okay, first pick up the axe, then make a cut. You know, then I'm memorizing too literally what's going on. So traditionally, what would happen was the person would then eventually get to the part where they would be allowed to make a cut. But this whole time, you know, usually it's not even the first year. The first year is about carrying tools, cleaning tools, being with the master, sneaking peeks of what the master is doing. And then one day you get to make like, you know, your first cut in some wood. But this is learning the way, learning how something is done, learning how it's engaged, how, how, how things are engaged. Um, now, this is something that when it goes deeper, you're learning about respect, you're learning about tradition, you're learning about the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. The end result is something that is fairly mindful, you could say. But you've learned to take it on in a way that is yours. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase in the, um, the Renzai school of Zen, um, if you see the master in the street, kill the master. If you see the Buddha in the street, kill the Buddha. If you see your parents in the street, kill your parents. And you're like, that's shocking. And it's intended to be. It gets people's attention. If someone is just copying me because I'm their practice leader or because I'm a priest in this temple and they're trying to be like Michael, then they're going to be robbing the world of their gift. And so we don't want in this practice people to learn how to do something specific on the surface, like how to perform a certain thing a certain way. That might be the end result and it might be fairly similar, but there's a whole other depth to it in the whole reason why we're doing it and the way that we're doing it. We call it the wind of the family house. 
is the way that the wind blew in the valley where I grew up. It's how things were taught in the temple that I studied. It's the people that I learned under and how they actually engaged the things that they engaged. And those little body movements, that spirit, that attitude that you start to digest by being with someone and trying to learn the spirit of how they're doing things is what Zen is about. And the spirit that you're learning in the Zen temple is about not learning how to do things because I want to suffer less. Now, when I came to Zen Center, to be honest, it was a self-help program, and I was working in the financial district at uh, International Bank as a manager, and I had a lot of stuff in my head, and I couldn't calm it down, and I wanted to suffer less. And I thought that meditation would be a great way for me to suffer less. So I came here thinking I will learn meditation, I will suffer less inside, I will be a calmer person, and then I will better be able to live my life. So I don't think that that's a bad pursuit. I think that anyone who's looking to reduce their suffering through organic means, I think there's a million worse pursuits in life. And I would never say that that's not a, a good thing to do. But here's the thing. After I started doing it for a while, I learned about the Bodhisattva vow and what the whole school of Zen is even about. And it is about this thing that you've probably heard of called enlightenment. Like when you start to see how everything is connected and everything is actually interacting with each other and I'm not separate from you and that the bird isn't separate from the tree and how that, you know, and like expanding this compassion out infinitely. And as nice as it would sound to have enlightenment, the thought would be that I don't want this just for me. And in fact, I will even put it on pause for me so that I could actually be with what it is that the people around me need. In a sense, the motive for doing this is I understand that I'm going to be giving a gift to the world. And this is something that is the wind of the family house of Zen. And, um, and I would ask if anyone's got their phone out, please put the phone away. We just want to keep everything in here just with no technology and just with ourselves, okay? So no phones, please. Um, the, um, the wind of the family house would be that we very much want to be here because we want other people to suffer less. And because we want the world to be able to have a gift. And the motive for being mindful, the motive for these practices is honing what it is that I'm doing so that I have something to give away, so that I have something that can be useful, so that there can be a person in the disturbance on the bus, at work, at the family gathering, who is anchored, who is spacious, who has studied about the way to be with other people and how to engage and how to 
pick up the axe with the spirit of the teacher and how to utilize that to build something beautiful, to build something that is lasting and something that is powerful and something that really fits together. And this is something that is very infinitely deep. Because it has to do with all of the things inside you that you haven't seen yet. The beauty that you have to bring out to the world. The teacher might show you the way. You might see the end result of being mindful, of handling things in a certain way. But the spirit behind it, the vows that they have taken, when I say vows, their intentions, like, I vow not to kill. Well, that's great. Most of us probably aren't going to kill in the next 24 hours. We probably feel like we've got that one nailed. But the intention not to kill on the other side would be to cherish life, to promote life. And how is it we take from the people around us? And who are the people that we don't cherish? Who are the people that we aren't so spacious with? Who are the people that we are not wishing loving kindness and compassion toward. Those are the vows, the intention to be with. I vow not to take what is not given. And what is that vow? And that is to realize what the people around me are offering, to realize what has been offered to me, and to be grateful for that, and to be able to embrace it. And so these ways of living called the bodhisattva vows, they're the intentions, they're the intentions for living, how it is that I am going to live. And the end result of that might be doing something that's mindful. But it's not coming here for self-help the way that I did. And again, if you came here for self-help, I don't fault you for that. Because a lot of us want to suffer less. And that's a great first start. So please don't like stop coming and studying Zen because people said, oh, but it must go deeper. Suffering less is a great thing because chances are if you're suffering less, the people around you will probably suffer a little bit less too. So even if it's somewhat selfish, it's still impactful to the world. And so what we're doing with this Zen practice is that we're going deep into how it is that a person lives life so that it is a gift to the world. And a lot of that has to do with learning how to be mindful, how to be with what's happening right now. But underneath the actions, it's backed up with the way, the way, and how we're doing it, and why we're doing it. And the depths to which that can be found are only the depths of you, which is infinite. And Zen will change a little bit with each person that practices it. Because it's not going to be just like the person that practiced before. And so it was even said by the Buddha years ago when he was nearing his death that he thought that all of these teachings that had dawned on him, that he had given to his students, he thought that these teachings would last about two generations. And that then somebody would come up with something better. That was pretty much what the Buddha said. And I love that because the spirit of that 
is the spirit of keeping an open mind to the next generation and not feeling like we have it all figured out. I've learned a lot of things in this temple that I would love to share with you about daily living, about corporate life, about how to hold meetings, about how to manage people, about how to have just balanced free time. Um, and yet, these are just the best practices that I've learned and that I've seen in my life. And if I was to share them with you, you would build on that. You would improve on that. You would take everything that you know and you would put it into the wind of the family house and you would learn the way. But you wouldn't try to become me. You would bring something new that is your unique gift. Because each person is like a prism, like a glass prism. We all have the same light, but there's no two prisms that refract light exactly the same way. We all have the same light, we all have the same oxygen, but we refract light in a different way. And that unique pattern that comes out the other side is your unique pattern to give to the world. And so Zen gives you a context, a really deep context for building what it is that a person can hang their hat on to build their life. How it is that they can build their joinery, they can build their temple. How they can know how to do something fairly precisely. And they don't even necessarily know why or when they learn the lesson. And that's the thing, and that's the way of learning Zen. We call it learning by walking in the mist. Because when you walk in the mist, you don't know when you got soaked. But just one day you realize that you're really soaked through. It just happened bit by bit. But you absorbed it. Like a student looking at Japanese joinery. Stealing glances here and there. And absorbing the way in which the teacher approached the tools. The respect for the wood. And how they moved. Their attitude how they dealt with their energized days and how they dealt with their not-so-energized days. And all of that's being absorbed, like walking in the mist, how, how we're going about, how we're doing things. And doesn't this world need more people that have absorbed how to actually not just do things on the surface and execute them correctly, but you know what it's like when somebody has a tone, has a voice, has a way of expressing themselves, where you feel like people on two sides of an issue can hear them? That is what the world needs, is people that can find a voice that doesn't just preach to the choir. If you didn't spend a lot of time in church, preaching to the choir is basically the folks behind the preacher who are nodding yes with everything the preacher says. So this is, not, this is being able to talk to the person that doesn't necessarily agree with you and absorbing that way. And so the difference between Zen and mindfulness is that mindfulness is an end result that you find all over Zen practice. And that it's a wonderful gateway to many spiritual paths. And in and of itself, it might be able to help you wind down from a meeting, wind down from a day, wind down from a difficult 
interaction, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But what Zen is offering is the thing that came up. The thing that came up. If you're sitting in a meeting and someone does something that's really triggering, what comes up? A feeling, a mental formation, a body sensation, the thing that came up. Over time, what comes up and how it comes up starts to shift. Rather than how I deal with what comes up. And there's nothing wrong with learning how to deal with what comes up. We even talk about that in Zen a lot too. But through walking through the mist, a lot of what happens is that you start to notice through living daily intentions in a certain way that what comes up starts to shift. What pops into your head starts to be a little bit different. How anxious you feel in that situation starts to, to, to morph a little bit your gut reaction to something starts to shift. And so Zen and mindfulness overlap greatly. Zen is an ancient practice that's a way of life that's been going on for hundreds of years that was built on top of a Buddhist practice that had been going on for a few thousand years. And so it's honing best practices of how to be a human being so that you have a gift to give to the world so that you have a gift to give to the person next to you without having to try to force it, without, ooh, I know I should be an adult. I know I should be nice. So that the thing that arises is something that works for you, that works for the people around you. And so I appreciate your attention and being here and being mindful through this entire talk. And I thank you for um, coming here this evening. And yeah, I want you to feel like this temple is yours. Um, there's not an expectation for you. Like the Dalai Lama said when he was asked by an interviewer, there's so many good things in Buddhism. Shouldn't everybody just be a Buddhist? And the Dalai Lama looked at him and said, if somebody is practicing a spiritual tradition and it's working for them, that's what they should stick with. And I feel very much the same way. I think Buddhism is amazing. I think Zen has a lot of great things to offer, especially in the modern world. And if you want to come here and talk to us and sit meditation for 10 years, we will not look at you as a failure five years in because you haven't done some other big Buddhist leap. This is a community temple, and I don't know what is best for you. But hopefully, you can come by here and go to talks. You can go to, we have sits. We have um, sometimes five or seven day sits if you really want to get adventurous. Um, we have evening sits, we have morning sits. Um, it's all on sfzc.org and the schedule is posted on the board outside and outside um, there um, near the doors where you enter the meditation hall. Um, and um, yeah, I just want to put that out there that um, this is a um, community temple. It's where people do practice and um, practice for what? You know, like you have a practice place for swimming and you have a practice place for dance and you have a practice place for music and they're set up specifically for practicing those things. This place is set up for practicing being 
a person in the world that is trying to live for the benefit of all beings. And through doing that, um, you will notice along the way that you inherit a lot of gifts yourself and you suffer quite a bit less. So I invite you to come here and to use this temple. And yes, there's a lot of formal things that people do in this temple. All of those are practices that have been honed and we want to share them with you. But none of them are worth anything until it comes and it helps you in some sort of personal way connect to you being in this moment. Up until then, it's just a bit of a choreography, if you will. And if you come here and you forget this, or you turn the wrong way, you say something during silent time, don't worry, you haven't ruined anyone's religious experience. This is just a place for people to come and to practice working on their stuff with their spiritual path. So thank you for being here tonight.